We're continuing today in Second Peter. Before we do that, let's just quickly pray once more. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are good, that you do love us, that you are our great protector, and that you also do gently guide us and correct us and sometimes yank us back onto the right path that you lead us on. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to trust you, to value you above everything else. With all the temptations that we face in this world, may you be more desirable to us. Give us a deeper hunger for you that nothing else would satisfy. Father, give us a deeper desperation for you that nothing else could fulfill. Help us to remember that you are returning and that that is the best thing in the world for those who trust you. Thank you that you've given us all we need to live now. Help us to remember to actually live. Speak to us, I pray. Speak even through me. Because you speak now. Amen. So we've been looking at Second Peter here. A great book. Peter's writing to a church where there are some false teachers going around saying, well, Jesus isn't coming back. It's been ages, dudes. He hasn't come back. Like 300 years, maybe. No, probably closer to 70 or 150 years. And they're like, it's too long. He said he was coming back. He's not back yet. That was 70 or 100 years, 150 years. Reg, how long do you think? Yeah. 33. Maybe 33. You hear different people argue about that. Even if it's 33, let's, let's be polite to them and say it's more than 50. Probably wasn't. We know Peter probably died under the Emperor Nero, which is not that long after Jesus. 64 which makes 33 years. There we go. He can do maths. I just did maths at university. 33 years and they're going around going, well, if Jesus was coming back, he would have come by now. It's a few years since then. Peter has written to this church where these teachers are going, if Jesus isn't coming back, just live as much out of this life as you can. You see something that you like, go for it. You see something that gives you pleasure, enjoy it. Even if that pleasure is not good or is, is contrary to God's will, who cares? Jesus isn't coming back. You know that t-shirt that says, look busy, Jesus is coming? They say, don't bother looking busy. Jesus isn't coming. Peter, on the other hand, is writing to the church and he's saying, guys... God has done so much for you. He has rescued you. He has given you new life. He's given you everything you need to live a godly life. And more than that, He's given you promises that you will share in the divine life of God. You will be with God. You won't just be with Him. You will, you will, you will be doing life with God. These couples that we had up the front here, doing life with each other, sharing life together. In a sense, that's what we have been promised, that we will share life with God in, in just a, a, an intimate relationship that is unlike anything else. And he said, God has given us all we need to live a holy life. Everything we need, he said uh, in our first sermon, verses 1 to 4. And he's gone on and he said, look guys, if, if God has given you everything you need, why don't you actually use it? Live it out. 
And I, for one, go, well, this is really difficult to do because it's, it's often that, that we know what to do, but we don't do it. Or we know what we shouldn't do, and we do do it. Paul wrote about that in Romans 7, 8, great chapters. And Peter, coming now uh, to the end of chapter 1, is writing to the, to the church where they are, and he says to them, guys, I want you to do something for me. I want you to remember now, over this last week, Taryn and I watched a video with her mother and her brother. The Fantastic Four. New edition. Has anyone watched it? Don't. It, it, well, it's nice. It's, it's not bad. It's, it's a bit of rubbish movie. But in there, they've got the cliched scene where there's a son and a daughter, old, like, grown-up kids, university age, and... Dad gets killed and he's lying on the ground. Promise me you'll look after each other. You know that hackneyed scene, every movie's got it. Someone dies and with their last dying breath they say, Promise me. And of course they do. And oh, we're doing it for you, Dad. What does Peter say over here? He says to this church and to us, I am about to die. I am about to die and my dying wish, the thing I most want to do, the most important thing that I have to say before I go. Like, I don't know what your, your final words, what if you've planned final words one day. Maybe something stupid like, I think I forgot to get one. Or... Peter says, no, I want you guys, if there's one thing I want you to remember, it's this. One thing you need to know, it's this. Remember all that God has done and remember that Jesus is coming back. He says, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you've been taught. It's only right I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. What are these things? These things is God calling us to live a holy life. God saying, well, put it in practice, not to be saved, but because you are saved. And we're going to see Peter's main emphasis is, guys, remember this, do this, because Jesus is coming back. Peter spoke in the last few verses last week, he spoke about the danger of us being blind or short-sighted and, and forgetful. To live as if Jesus isn't coming back with an eye only on the pleasures of this world or an eye forgetting that we have been saved and set free to live for God. It's easy to live as if Jesus isn't coming back. And can I say it, it's easy for me as a Christian to live as if Jesus isn't coming back. And it's easy for you as a Christian to live as if Jesus isn't coming back. I mean, this world is good. There's a lot in this world that would distract us and say, you know what, enjoy it, it's good. Whatever makes you feel good is fantastic. But Peter's point is, if this world is good, can you imagine the God who made it? 
the fountain of delights, he's coming back. Don't you want to just enjoy him? Why settle for second best? Why settle? In uh, the book and the movie The Hobbit, sorry, in the book and the extended edition of the movie The Hobbit, um, there's a, a scene as they are traveling through the forest of Mirkwood. Does everyone know The Hobbit? If you don't know The Hobbit, this is a movie or book you should watch and preferably read. Um, there's a scene there where it is like, it's not seven dwarves, it's 13 dwarves, 12 dwarves and a hobbit going through this forest. And through the forest there runs an enchanted river. And um, as happened before, said, oh, don't touch the water. And one of the, the fattest dwarf falls in the river and has to be rescued. Now what the river does is it puts him into a deep, 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 deep sleep. And they have to lug him miles and miles and miles. And when he finally wakes up, he's forgotten everything since they set out months before. Or weeks before. He's forgotten it all. And I think this is one of God's enemies' ploys. One of the ploys of Satan. To distract us into forgetfulness. And this is why Peter's writing. He's going, guys, I want to remind you so that you will remember. Because you are prone to forget. We are prone to live as if Jesus isn't coming back. Amen? Yeah. Peter's not writing to new Christians. He's writing... To, to well-established Christians, they've been taught about Jesus. They've been taught about living for Jesus. They were, says Peter, firmly established in the truth. As firmly as one can be. And yet, says Peter, I'm writing to remind you because they, like us, are, are always in danger of wobbling away from the truth, of forgetting as living, knowing the truth as if the truth isn't true. Wrap your head around that. You see, remembering is not just about dead knowledge. Remembering is being alive to history and to hope. If you think about uh, how much God values remembering, the Passover, where God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, he gave them a meal and said, spread the blood, but eat this meal together. And and once you've done it every year, I want you to eat this meal again in, in remembrance. I want you to remember it with all of your with all of your will, with all of your thinking, with all of your emotions, with all of your actions. Don't just remember it, relive it. And then Jesus comes and at the Last Supper, before he's about to be betrayed, he comes and says, I've I've longed to have this meal with you guys. Drink this cup, it's my blood. Eat this bread, it's my body. And now what I want you to do, do this. Live it again to remember me. Not just up there, but live it again. Be there. You know, when we do communion here on the first Sunday of the month, um, all of those who, who love Jesus and, and who are perfect take communion. No, well, all of those who love Jesus and know that they're not perfect take communion and go, Jesus, I'm taking this because I remember what you've done. And I was there. I wasn't there, but as I'm doing this, it's as if I was there. Remembering is something, putting, putting ourselves alive into history. Paul quite often writes in his letters and says, guys, remember how I was around you. Imitate me. 
which is a huge thing to say. How many of us can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Paul says, time and again, remember what you've been taught. Not just as, a, oh, I remember, I wrote an exam on it, but remember it in, and that live it. You see, forgetting may not be a lack of recall. Forgetting can be about a, a, a memory becoming a dead fossil. And I know that's tautologist because a fossil is usually dead. For example, I recall that Jesus died for my sins. But I know how easy it is to live in guilt and shame instead of thankfulness. Do you see the difference there? One is an intellectual, I know what God has done. The memory is there. I know it. Peter comes and says, yeah, that's dead. That's useless. If it doesn't actually change that you choose to live out of that. And how easy it is to go, Jesus has saved me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I recall that God is holy and that I am to share in the divine life. Peter has just told us this. But, you know, I know God wants that of me as I do this over here. You see, what Peter's on about is not just reminding us to know the facts. He's reminding us to embody the facts, to, to let the facts become more than facts, to let, the, to let the truth become part of who we are and how we live and how we act. I mean, Peter, if anyone knew how easy it is to forget and how much we need reminding, it's Peter. He, in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, has this moment where he recognizes God gives him the knowledge that Jesus is God. And he goes, Jesus, you're God. And then a few verses later, Jesus says to him, well, you're right. And this is wonderful, Peter. And, uh, and God's revealed this to you. And then a few verses later, Jesus starts speaking about, I'm going to go and die, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to come back to life. And what does Peter do? He goes, Jesus, you're God. No, he goes, Jesus, you're nuts. And even there, Jesus says, Peter, behind me, Satan. And then the same Peter later, as Jesus is arrested, decides to deny him three times. And Jesus knew about it beforehand and says, Peter, I know you're going to betray me, but I've prayed for you, Peter. And when you've come through it, and I love that, isn't that great? Jesus says, Peter, you're going to mess up. But when you come through it, like I know about it, isn't that great encouragement to us? I know what you're going to do, Nick. Yeah, but when you've come through it, just realize, when you come back to your senses, and say to Peter, when you've come back to your senses, Peter, Strengthen the other Christians. Strengthen the other disciples. And do you know what? That's exactly what Peter did, and that's exactly what Peter is doing right here. The very last thing that he wants to do, with all his dying breath, as he looks at these Christians that he loves, as he speaks even to us, thousands of years later, he's saying, I want to strengthen you, and I want to do that by reminding you to remember. You see, Peter's not just writing for a once-off emergency in one church in the middle of nowhere. He's, he's, he's writing until the day of Jesus. He says in chapter 3, verse 15, 
Remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. That's not the verse I wanted to read. But it's a good verse. How about chapter 1, verse 15? So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. And chapter 3, verse 18 says this. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to Him now and forever. Peter's ambition is to say, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. And again, lovely combination there. Grow in the knowledge of, grow in the personal experience of, not just head knowledge, but life knowledge. But grow in the grace as well. And the grace is God going, you've messed up, but I love you. And if we need to grow in grace, it means that we need to realize how bad we need God's grace. Isn't that great? That's grace. <clears throat> Peter was sure that Jesus was coming back. This is the crux of the problem here. We haven't really come to it yet, but it, it's in chapters 2 and 3. But, but Peter's main point is Jesus is coming back. And the question is, how is Peter so sure that Jesus is returning? Karl Marx famously said in in a quote that's longer than this, but he said, religion is the opiate of the people. And it's basically a fantasy to cling to. Winston Churchill said much the same thing, except he said, don't take it away from people until they can do without it. Some people have always seen the idea of Jesus as a myth, as a made-up story. Particularly the idea that Jesus is coming back and that how we live now matters. Because if Jesus isn't coming back as both judge and rescuer, then how we live now doesn't matter. Then we should go out and do whatever it takes to maximize enjoyment for ourselves and who cares about how it affects you. The false teachers were, were speaking about Peter and the other apostles and going, you guys have made up some fantastically clever stories so that you can make sure that people act the way you want them to. It's all about controlling people, isn't it? And Peter turns around and says, well, before that, that's completely missing the point. The point of the gospel is you're not fantastic people. That's why Jesus has saved you. But Peter turns around and says, this is no fairy tale. This is no myth that I've made up. Because I've already experienced Jesus coming back. <coughs> Peter had a glimpse of it. You see... All of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell the story of soon after we had that incident of Peter saying, You are God, Jesus says a little bit later, uh, I'll tell you the truth, some of you here will not die until you see the kingdom come in power. And then between six and eight days later, uh, some gospels say six, some say about eight, Jesus takes three of his disciples, three of his closest friends. Uh, Peter, James, and John, sons of thunder. And he takes them up on the mountains. And as he's there, there's, there's this, I think like a cloud, who comes down and they see Moses. And they see Elijah. And they say, is that Jesus there? There's something different about Jesus. They see his, his face is glowing, his clothes. Let me just, a uh, quick poll. Hands up if you use bleach at home. Anyone use bleach? What's the best brand of bleach? 
anyone. What, what does bleach do? Bleach whitens. I love the way in the Gospels it says, Jesus' clothes were so white that there's no bleach in the world that could make them that white. It was like glowing. This is Jesus majestic. And then while they're up there, Peter spouts out some... And God speaks and says, This is... This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. See, Peter, James and John, they didn't just hear a story about Jesus being majestic. They saw it and they heard God himself testifying to Jesus. This is why Peter is sure that Jesus is coming back. And yes, Jesus is only coming back because Jesus was raised from the dead. But on that mountaintop, Peter saw Jesus revealed as the majestic king. He just knew this is the king of the universe. And one day when Jesus returns, everyone will see Jesus as he is. Most people looked at him and went, you're just a weird teacher. There's nothing, there's nothing to attract us to you. You're just a man. But there on the mountaintop, they saw stripped away the facade. Well, not the facade, but they saw stripped away the veil over Jesus' glory and majesty. Peter knew this is right. In fact, his very first words, my favorite bumbling Peter says, are, Rabbi, teacher, it is good for us to be here. And then he mumbles something about, let's set up some tents and blah, blah, blah. But, but his first instinct is, this is right. This is how it should be. And then they heard God speak. And, and what God says, this is my dearly loved son who gives me great joy, reminds us of, of some things that God had said in the Old Testament. Psalm 2, go home and read it today. All about God speaking to the king, saying, you are my son. Or Isaiah 20, uh, sorry, not 21, Isaiah 42, speaking about God's suffering servant who gives him great joy. In other words, this is God turning around going, this is the king, this is my son, I love him so much. You see, for Peter, what he saw on the mountaintop all those years ago, if I do my maths right, probably about 34, 35 years ago, closer to 34. If, if what he saw there, that, that for Peter was a teaser trailer. You know, if you watch, this is showing what kind of movies I watch, isn't it? But if you watch Marvel movies, you always go to the movies and you go and you sit down and the movie finishes and people get up and leave and you sit down and you go, ah, small fry. Because when a Marvel movie is on, you always sit until the very end because after the credits, they show you a hint about what the next movie is going to be about. Peter's seen the hint. Peter's seen the hint. And in chapter 3, we're going to see, he speaks about how Jesus is coming back, is going to radically change the world.
He saw that even there. When the comment about uh, clothes that are whiter than any bleach is going, this is not of this world. When Jesus returns, he will come as both judge and rescuer. And Peter wants us to, to live now as citizens of his kingdom until the day of Jesus comes. But on that mountaintop, for a brief moment, the kingdom of God was unveiled for Peter, James, and John. How are we going? Are we still awake? Are we still... Jim, are you still awake? Excellent. You see, Peter goes on and says, this is why I know that Jesus is coming back. But he says, you know what? It's not as if we made this up. It's not as if this is all new. He says we have the prophetic word made even more sure. I think that's NIV or ESV version. But he says here, um, we are not making up clever stories. Because of that experience, verse 19, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You see, says Peter, the Old Testament, Genesis, all the way through, speaks about Jesus. Explicitly sometimes saying, this is the one who will come. This is the one who will bring the day of the Lord. This is the one who comes as rescuer and judge who is God's way to bring people back to himself. The Old Testament is all about pointing to Jesus. And Peter says, I've had this experience and now, wow, look at the Old Testament. I'm losing my voice. The Bible's the historical story of God dealing with humanity to save us for himself. And it's all centered around the person of King Jesus. Peter's writing at a time when, when the apostles, including Paul, were, were writing and teaching. But for the most part, the church's Bible was the Old Testament. And Peter says, pay attention to it. We don't tend to pay as much attention to the Old Testament as the New. Because we go, well, the Old Testament's old and the New is new. And the New is all about Jesus. But Peter says, no guys, read the Old Testament because it points you to Jesus. New Testament, he says at the end of the book, is also scripture. He says, uh, Old Testament is scripture. New Testament is scripture. Paul's writing the scripture, says Peter. But, but he says, what you got, what God has done, don't go right, Jesus has come. Now we don't need this anymore. He says, pay attention to it. Because it's a light shining in a dark place. Those of you that were around in probably, I don't know, 60s or 70s or early 1820s will know the song Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path Psalm 119 verse 105 Old Testament says your word is a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path see says Peter the Old Testament is, is, is shining a light on who God is who Jesus is on what God is doing, His character and His purposes. But, says the Old Testament, and says Peter, the day is coming when Jesus is revealed, when He returns as powerful King, and, and at that stage, everyone will see the kingdom of God as it is. They will see God as He is. And Peter's going, I saw it, I saw it there on the mountaintop. It's amazing. The prophets say this is going to happen. One day, says Peter, the day will dawn when Jesus returns, at which stage the morning star will rise in our hearts. Morning star literally means daybringer. 
The light bringer rather. When Jesus returns, the day of the Lord, we will see him as he truly is. We will know him completely. And what Peter glimpsed on the mountaintop for a few moments, and and even as Jesus came down the mountain, his face was glowing with the glory that that is of God. He's glowing with his own glory. What Peter and the apostles saw then, we will see, not just for a moment, but for all eternity. And Peter says, you really want to settle for less than that? You really want to settle for less? And seeing this kingdom that is incredibly glorious, because the morning star will rise in our hearts, we will see him completely, all of our doubts, all of our uncertainties, all of our forgetfulness, all of our proneness to stumble will fall away. Sky Jitani in his book with tells the story of a mausoleum with a beautiful mural on the ceiling. It's the Gala Placidia. Has anyone seen it? Apparently this is a beautiful mosaic ceiling, but the lighting is really bad. There's small windows, you get a whole crowd in there and you can't see it. And you look up and you go, oh, that's impressive, I guess. And he says, what makes a difference uh, is when he was there, someone puts a coin in a box. And for a brief moment, spotlights come on and the ceiling is just lit up. And everyone goes, wow. But it's just, it's not for long. It's just long enough for you to see something. And he says, every time somebody puts another coin in, you see something else. You're like, wow. That's a bit like the Old Testament. There's all these little drops of the coin and we see something about who God is, what is coming. It's like, wow. And then uh, along comes Jesus and there on the Mount of Transfiguration, somebody puts a $10 note in and Peter goes, wow. And he goes, man, I can't wait until this is not just a spotlight, but until there is a fire blazing and this thing is seen by the whole world. The Bible speaks of the day when what is now hidden from us. God is God right now. Jesus is King right now. And if we knew it, well, if Jesus didn't transform us to be like Him, we couldn't stand. But He is going to come back. He's going to make us like Himself. And we are going to go, wow, Jesus, how could I have ever ever, ever thought that I could settle for less than you. Revelation speaks about how there is no sun in the new creation because God himself is the light for his people. The prophets spoke and they weren't making up stories, they were speaking for God. Peter says they they don't speak in their own initiative. They spoke from God. Yes, they spoke with their own voices, but they spoke what God wanted them to say. Jeremiah 1.9, I have put my words in your mouth. Matthew 4.4, Jesus being tempted. Jesus being tempted. Jesus turns around and says to Satan, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from where? From the mouth of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know this one. Paul says, guys, remember Timothy. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful. Hebrews says in the past, 
God spoke long ago to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these days he has spoken to us by his son. There's the author of the Hebrews going, wow, not just a quite ten dollar note. Woo! You know, if Jesus, but before I say that, these are many prophets across a long time frame. They claimed to speak for God and they were proved true because what they said came true. And a lot of what they said has yet to come true. Particularly the bit about Jesus coming back. Now if Jesus isn't coming back, if all the apostles thousands of years back lied, and if all the prophets before them made up clever stories, then you guys are idiots for being here this morning. I'm an idiot for being here this morning. Think of your... Think of what would maximize your pleasure. Don't care about anyone else and go do it because life's short and you might as well enjoy yourself to the most. If they lie. But if they're telling the truth. If Jesus is coming back, if how we live today matters... If Jesus is so glorious that Peter with almost his dying breath can say, Guys, remember that he's coming. Remember what he's done. Remember who you are. Doesn't it add force to it that his very last thing is, Remember. Peter, James and John saw a glimpse of Jesus' kingdom. And they heard God's approval. And Peter writes to us and says, guys, it's not just us, it's God's message from eternity, past, from the creation of the world. Jesus is coming back. How you live for him does matter. It's not going to save you, but if you are saved, then follow him because he's worth it. Don't just remember in your head, remember in your hands and your feet and your thoughts and your words. Otherwise, we are like a person who lives on the street, goes and gets a lotto ticket, wins a billion dollars, and then pulls up your cardboard box the next night. You have a billion dollars in the bank. Just buy yourself a, a, a blanket at least. Jesus has given us all that we need to live the kingdom life now. He's given us a lamp to point us to God. Let's not live as if this life is all we get. Let's not fall into the sea of forgetfulness that this world says, you know what, this, Jesus isn't coming back. Just enjoy yourself now. Let's remember He's coming back. Let's, let's read what Peter says. And, and I pray for myself and for you that something of His excitement as He saw Jesus all those years before. Oh, wow. I've remembered. Brothers and sisters, remember and live.